0: Hey, thanks for joining us today on the For the Bible Tells Me So podcast. My name is Riley. I'm so glad you're here. If you're brand new to jumping into this feed, welcome. It's great to have you here. Um, you're jumping right now into a series with us called Blessings Behind Bars. Blessings Behind Bars because what we're doing is we're taking in a look at this old ancient letter. It's a prison letter from the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church. Paul is in prison behind bars, and he is helping the Philippians who are suffering. It's a bad situation for them. He's trying to help them see that, man, through whatever you go through, you can still find joy because your, your identity and your worth and your life is not identified with anything from this world. It is only found in relationship and through forgiveness and mercy and new life given by Jesus Christ. So this letter is amazing, has so many principles for us to glean from today, and the thing that I feel like it's speaking to us today is about the significance of our lives. What does it look like for us to live a Christian significant life? I feel like for me, I know that when I think about who's a Christian who's really making it happen with their lives, who's really living a significant life as a Christian, I think about these people like Bonhoeffer, I think about Billy Graham, I think about these leaders, these influencers, these big voices that did so much for the kingdom of God. But then I start thinking about myself, and I'm like, but what about me? What about those of us who are mere mortals and just want to live a good Christian life, honor God, love our families, be a blessing in our community? Can we still live? significant christian lives even if we don't have a big platform and what i believe paul is going to show us today is that man you don't have to have a platform in order to live a significant christian life you've got to have purpose you don't need a pulpit you just need purpose you, you can have a significant life while living an ordinary christian life there's this author named tony marita Who wrote a book called Ordinary How to Turn the World Upside Down? And I love this quote. The author says, Most gospel ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. To that, I'm just like, Yes and amen. I love that. I love that there can still be gospel living. Even with ordinary lives, we're just trying to follow Jesus with our whole hearts. And that is what Paul is getting into today. He's just going to lay out some very ordinary things for the the Philippian church to do. But as they do it, he's like, man, I'm going to hear about amazing things from you as you do these simple Christian practices. So what are they? Let's check this out in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Paul says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. When I was growing up, I remember my mom and my dad telling me that they wanted really just one thing for my life okay it was just I don't know if you ever ever had these kind of conversations with your parents but whenever you hear somebody you know above you your parents somebody like that say this is what I want for your life you start to listen right I remember my parents they just looked at me they said Riley we just want this one thing for you I was like what is it and they're like we just want you to live a normal life We just want you to be normal, man. We don't need you to be some big celebrity. And we don't want you to be out on the streets, not being able to make a life for yourself. We want to just see you live a normal, decent, substantial, stable life. I remember thinking about that. I was like, you know, that sounds great. Like, I want those things too. But as I started to get older, I was like, man, I kind of want to do something more with my life. I I actually want to... Maybe have a bit more influence or something like that. And uh, mom, if you're listening to this, I love you so much. Thank you for your guidance. You are the best mom a silly kid could ever ask for. But I knew what they were really trying to say. They weren't trying to stifle me from living, quote unquote, my best life possible or anything like that. What my parents were really all about was they wanted to see me live a life that was in line with gospel ethics and they wanted to see me hold to the principles of God. And those oftentimes lead to just a life of humility, surface service, not surface, service, and care for other people. And when I started to realize that, I was like, man, this is the best gift that I could actually be given is this kind of call to live an ordinary life. Because you know what we'll see here in scripture is that as you live An ordinary Christian life. You just do a few things. Man, the reputation that can come from your life can really give God so much glory and draw people to a a saving faith in Christ. And that's what Paul is getting at here in the book of Philippians chapter 1. He's just like, man, Philippians, hold fast to your faith. Be unified. Love each other. Go forward in life together. And man, stuff is going to happen for the kingdom that you could never expect. So let's take a look at how Paul starts to break this down. Let's take a look at verse 27. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now that's a very easy sentence to just kind of gloss over. It feels like Paul's just saying, Hey, just be a stand-up person and just, you know, believe in the gospel. And we say yes and amen to both those, right? Like we want to be decent people and gospel yes we want to believe the gospel but i believe paul is trying to get something a bit deeper here so let's take a look at this if you've been around the church for a while you've heard the word gospel gospel what does the word gospel mean the word gospel means good news but it's not just like good news like oh dang revival ice cream's got free ice cream tonight let's go it's not that kind of good news The kind of good news that Paul is talking about here and the word that he's using is good news that's brought into a society as a new king arrives, as a new king brings healthy principles and values and law into that land, that would be good news for the people who are receiving this new king. It's really actually like a political statement. Paul is saying, look, the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus, the coming kingdom values of Jesus Christ. That's what he's getting at here. He's talking about, man, this whole new set of ways of life that come with Jesus and his kingdom, the gospel of Christ. But then he also says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, right here, this kind of phrase—it comes from a Greek phrase that basically means "be a good citizen." Be a good citizen. What Paul is saying here is that, man, just if you could just do one thing, just let your your citizenship be up to par with the kingdom values and law that Jesus is bringing in with His kinglike authority. What Paul is talking about here is just, man, let your what? Let your life, let everything you do come under the submission of Jesus and be a good citizen. And what's fun to note here is that, man, Paul is saying that before we're a citizen of Philippi, like the Philippians were thinking about, before we're a citizen of America, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, If you're listening to this when I'm recording it, we're just about to jump into a very tumultuous time of 2020. If 2020 couldn't have been worse already, we're about to enter a presidential election that's going to get really ratchet before it gets better. And to know that we are all, as believers in Jesus, that we are all citizens of Jesus' kingdom before we even touch a political party before we even touch the ground that we stand on here in America, that we are first identified. Our, our passports say, man, I am from the kingdom of Jesus. And that influences everything that I do. That's good to know because, man, if you're like me, it's, it can be hard sometimes. It can be easy to identify with a political party, or a state that you're a part of, or whatever, and then let that kind of inform the way you live as a Christian. But no, no, no. What Paul's saying here is that as a citizen of the kingdom, that will then determine how you live life. And he's about to give the Philippians the way to kind of live their lives. How do they live as a people under this citizenship together? Well, he says it right here in verse 27 through 28. He says, Just let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So Paul here, he just knows that, man, Philippians, as you live your lives, as you're gonna, you know, be citizens of the kingdom. There's going to be rumors. There's going to be different things that are said about you. But man, if there's going to be anything that's said about you, let it come from these few values that you hold to. Let it be that you are standing firm in one spirit. What does he mean by spirit here? He's literally just referring to the spirit of God. He's saying that, man, my hope is that as I'm hearing about you, I hear that you are all unified under the same God, under the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel, that you are all submitted to him together, and that you're filled with his spirit, that your aim is pointed towards following God, and that it is fueled by the spirit of the living God. That's what he's talking about as he says, man, stand firm in one spirit, but then also have one mind together. Paul is talking about Sharing life and sharing breath. You think about the friends in your life that you really connect with and feel unified with to a degree, if I could use that word, unified. You think about people who just get you, right? And you get them. You share life. When you go through something hard, you can come alongside them and help them. You're, You're able to mourn with your friends. You're able to lift them up together. You're able to Just go through the ebbs and flows of life together. He says, man, be of one spirit, focused on Jesus, and be of one mind. Share together life, your experiences, your heartaches, your victories together, your thoughts. Just share it all together. So share one spirit. Share one mind. And then I love this. He says, and strive side by side. Now, if you've been in the church for a while, You've probably heard a pastor say, "Hey, don't strive for your salvation. Don't work for your approval before God. Don't strive. Don't work. Don't try to overcompensate for what God has already done for you." Now, I agree with that. Like we don't receive our salvation. We are not saved from our sins by just working and working and working and trying to get God's approval. As believers, as gospel believers, we believe that Jesus, without us even asking, went to the cross, paid the debt that we owed with his body and blood, and now has given us new life. I never knew I needed that until I met Jesus. I never asked for it. He just gave it. We believe that for salvation, right? So what is Paul saying here about striving We're not supposed to strive for salvation. We're not supposed to try to prove ourselves. Like, what is he trying to say here? I believe what Paul is trying to get at here is something that we talked about in the last message that we went through. Paul is saying that in order to really move forward in life, if you want to really go through life side by side with someone, there's going to be conflict. And rather than not entering the conflict, he says, enter it. Can you believe that. Paul right here is saying, man, if you're trying to move forward, then as conflict comes up, man, you better engage with it, you better wrestle with it, you better work through it because if you don't work through it, things will collapse. The mission will not be accomplished. But as you wrestle together, as you state your concerns, as you learn to build compromises, as you reconcile relationships, That will actually produce a unity as deeper than any other unity found on earth. There's no way to be unified with people that you don't really kind of bump up against and then learn how to reconcile. That's where true fellowship can really happen. And Paul recognizes that. I want to see you guys make a team effort to move forward by wrestling with each other. Believe in the same spirit. Share one mind And then wrestle with each other to move forward. He says all this knowing that, man, as they do that, their reputation will just, in a big way, demonstrate God's goodness in their lives. And maybe you're thinking now, like, that sounds amazing, right? Like, we love that, you know, people can Wrestle and can be unified together under the name of Jesus, sharing this citizenship. But like, what does that really mean for the world around us? What does that mean for me? What effect does that have on the people around me? Well, Paul says here a um, what I feel like is a tough verse to read. This is a hard one to kind of process, but it's it's the truth. Paul says in verse 28, as you do these things, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. That sentence is a little difficult to understand when you first read it, but let's try to break it down into terms that we can understand. Paul is saying here that as you share one mind, one spirit, wrestle together that your reputation will just smell of Jesus. But what does that do for the people around us? That gives them a choice. It gives them the choice of saying, man, I love what's happening in this community. I want what they have. If I need to change my life around, if I need to believe in Jesus, then I want to do that. I want to submit my life to him because I want what these people have with Jesus. That's one decision that somebody can make after seeing a community of God really represents the goodness of God. The other conclusion that someone can come to is that I don't want anything to do with that. These people are weird, or these people don't know what they're missing out on. I don't want to give my life to submit to anybody. I want to do what I want to do, and I want to treat people well. I want to be a nice person. I want to do good by my life, but man, I don't want to Give up certain things to come into this faith and to really give up, you know, my freedom to a sense. There can be this resistance. There can be this attitude of rebellion against God and his influence in a people. And Paul just says here that, man, as you live for God and as people see what God's doing inside of you, they have one of these two options. And the people who choose not to follow Jesus, they are inviting destruction into their lives. The people who do respond well are and, and, and want to, you know, follow Jesus are inviting peace and salvation into their lives. This is a hard thing to think about because I would like to think that as I'm living for Jesus, that everyone will want to come and follow Jesus with me. But it's just not the case. I can't transform somebody's heart. Only God can influence someone's heart. Only God can bring the growth to someone who has been dead in their sins. And man, for us as believers, this is an opportunity for us to live our lives for Christ, to demonstrate his goodness, to pray for those who may have a difficult time receiving God as their father and Jesus as their savior, as their king, and just believe that, man, as I'm living my life, as I'm committing these people to God in prayer, and as God is sovereignly loving on these people more than I ever could, I'm just going to believe that God is in the mix of winning these people towards him. This is the kind of stuff that God is calling us into radical kind of life radical kind of decisions this is the life of a Christian and Paul says all this you know he says man so so live as a citizen share one mind share one spirit strive together as you do that people have to make these different decisions about whether or not they want to follow Jesus with you but you you know you you yourself know that you will be saved before Jesus because of what Jesus has offered to you through faith in the hope of grace. So all this is happening, right? This all sounds, it all sounds good. It all sounds like God's plan. And then Paul kind of just caps this off. He kind of tops off this message with a word that's uh, not so encouraging, at first glance, at least. He starts talking about how this lifestyle of unity. It's going to invite something painful. Notice what he says here. He says, in verse 29, he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, Paul here, He's looking at the suffering that the Philippians are experiencing as they're making decisions to follow Jesus. And in a moment when the Philippians could resent what's happening to them because of their decisions, Paul takes a moment to try to reframe their perspective about suffering. He says, look, you've been granted the gift to believe in Jesus. But as you're suffering, I hope you know that you're also receiving the gift of suffering with Jesus. Now, that doesn't sound like a great gift. I'm having a little daughter here, and my wife is going to be giving birth to our little daughter here in November. I'm thinking about Christmas, what we might be able to get this little girl. And I'm not hoping to give her the gift of suffering. Not quite yet, you know? Like I'm not trying to box that up and put it under a Christmas tree. This is not something that we want to unwrap at our birthday parties, right? The gift of suffering. Because... At first glance, what suffering shows us is that we are just being hurt. We are just being affected. That there's no good from what is happening here. And there is suffering in this world that, man, when we look at it, it just seems totally purposeless, right? We think about people who have gone through the horrors of human trafficking. We think about the lynchings that have happened to black men and women in our country, in our history's past, We think about the different injustices and sufferings, the poverty, the homelessness. We think about all this and we're like, wow, is there really any purpose to that? And if I could just say to you right now, I believe that God is allowing mankind to live out their desires because he has given us free will and oftentimes we choose These horrific paths with our lives. He's he's allowing us to do that, but he's also bringing all things into subjection under his name. God has a plan through every single injustice, every single pain, every single hurt. We read in scripture that Jesus will right every single wrong. We may not see it here on earth, but we will see it as Jesus reveals his his kingdom in its fullest glory when he returns um, in that second coming of Christ. So we believe that about suffering. Scripture has shown that to us. Injustice, though, is horrible for us today. But what Paul is talking about here is a different kind of suffering, okay? What Paul is talking about is a suffering that comes as a byproduct, as a result. Of following Jesus with your life. Now, I'm not sure what pastors you've listened to or who's spoken into your life about the Christian faith and the Christian rhythms and all that, but there has been a teaching for a long time that says, if you follow Jesus, then Jesus will do this for you. You heard that before. You do the blank for Jesus, and he will do blank for you. Those messages sound great because it's this kind of transaction type of faith. Like, man, if I just pray, 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 then God will save my unbelieving friends. Now, granted, God may save your unbelieving friends as you pray, but let me tell you, it's not because of your prayers. It's by God's Spirit working through the prayers as we studied back in the book of Philippians. So, suffering. What what Paul is really trying to get at here is that there is a suffering that comes into our lives as we make decisions to follow Jesus. Now, maybe you've experienced this before—that you, um, you know, you make a decision uh, to break off a relationship because you know that that relationship is not what God has intended for you or for that person. You know that there's some sin going on, and the best way to you know protect yourself and that other person from that sin is to break off the relationship. What you're doing in that moment is making a decision for Jesus to honor your body, their body, to sacrifice your desires to honor God. But would you know that as you do that, you are inviting suffering into your life? How? You're inviting loneliness. You're inviting a broken relationship. You're inviting awkward conversations. You're inviting these different sources of pain and struggle. But what Paul says here is that as you experience those sufferings, it's actually a gift. Because, check out what we read in the book of Romans. Paul shines a little bit more light on this idea of suffering and the glory that comes from suffering. In Romans chapter 8, verses 16-17, through 17, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, That we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Sounds amazing, right? But then he says this You are fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul is saying here that, man, to experience the glory of resurrection. experience the glory of becoming more like Jesus, to experience the glory of spending life with Jesus in eternity today and tomorrow. He says, man, to be glorified in that kind of way, guess what you got to do? You have to suffer for him. You have to break off those relationships that are inviting sin into your life. You have to stop those spending habits that are not allowing you to be generous and to give God the the worship that he's really due. We have to make these decisions that allow suffering to come into our lives because as we do that, God actually works through the suffering to bring glory on the other side. Isn't that a crazy thing to think about? Oftentimes in our minds, like I know my mind, I think about like, man, if I make a decision that's going to invite suffering. Well, let's just cross that off the list. Let's find a, a path of lesser resistance. Let's do something that's not going to hurt so bad, right? But Paul says here, man, that the, the decisions you're going to have to make to follow Jesus, they're just going to invite suffering. And don't ignore that. Don't dismiss that. Don't miss out on making that decision to follow Jesus because the suffering actually leads to... Intimacy with Christ, glory with Christ. And I, I man, I love what C.S. Lewis says about pain. This is one of the quotes that has really helps me think about when suffering does come into my life, what is God really trying to do? We saw in Romans that God's trying to bring glory through the suffering. But also notice what C.S. Lewis says He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, and shouts to us in our pain. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Isn't that wild to think about? Maybe you're listening to this right now and you feel like, man, I just don't feel like I really even have heard from God recently. I would ask you, when's the last time you suffered for his sake? When's the last time you made a decision to get outside of yourself, in a sense, to make a decision that honors God and as the suffering comes into your life, as you follow Jesus, how have you responded to that? When's the last time you have actually done something that allows suffering to come into your life? I, I would tell you that as you make those decisions, the hard decisions to follow Christ, as you enter into that pain, that suffering to a degree, that is where God will really meet you. I promise you that God will meet you. It may not be the exact way that you hoped for or that you imagined, but I will tell you that it will be better than you had hoped for. Maybe not right there in the moment, but as God is working through your suffering, as you're trusting in him, as you are committing your life to him in prayer and in worship and generosity and fighting for justice, as you do these different things, and as suffering does come into your life as you're following Jesus, man, there is going to be a level of intimacy with God that you have never experienced before. This is the kind of stuff that God really wants to do for you. You guys, I'm praying for you this week that you would be someone who's so bold as to make decisions for Jesus, knowing that, man, as I make this make this decision, it's going to be hard. I know that if I do this, man, that there's just going to be some difficulty that comes my way. But my prayer is that as you do those decisions, and as suffering comes into your life, that you have this firm hope in what God can do through the suffering. He wants to produce glory in your life. He wants to take you into deeper intimacy with Jesus. He wants to speak to you through your pain. Don't avoid making these decisions to follow Jesus because if you do, you may rob yourself of an opportunity to hear from God like you've never heard from him before. today come back next tuesday for a new episode here of the for the bible tells me so podcast check the show notes for info about following and interacting with the young adult ministry throughout the week during shelter in place we hope to see you soon